Good morning. morning. It's good to be with you guys. Hey, before we jump into the Word of God, um, let me just say we just finished our annual uh, Grace Fellowship family meeting. We did it in between services. If you're watching online, it's the second service that you are watching. And uh, I want to make you guys already aware that even now, if you have the Church Center app, if you missed that meeting and you want to see what happened in the meeting and all the things we talked about, if you have the Church Center app, you go right to the homepage of the Church Center app and there's a button to click right there for the family meeting and you can watch it. Don't watch it while I'm preaching or I'm going to get mad at you, but you're welcome to go there and you have access to it. So we're going to start to do a little bit of uh, audience participation poll here. Um, how many of you would love it if you had just a little extra time every week just to be completely alone? Yes, a lot of you, a lot of introverts out there need that alone time. I was with a big group of people um, this week in a, in a small room, and uh, there's a bunch of new moms, and they're all sort of gathered in a circle talking about the challenges and joys of being a new mom, and uh, one of the things that they all agreed on is that they would just kill for five minutes in a day when they could be by themselves. And they were telling these horror stories about how there's, there, you know, you're not in the bathroom by yourself, you're not in the shower by yourself, you are never by yourself, and it's such a killer. And, uh, and I thought, man, I'd, I like being around people. I don't like to be alone. So everybody's different. Let, let me ask you this. Do you think it's weird to go to the movies by yourself? Raise your hand if you think that's weird. Yeah, some of you? Yeah, people tell me it's weird. I go to the movies by myself all the time. It makes perfect sense to me. Number one, popcorn costs a thousand bucks. I don't want to share it. And I get all the popcorn to myself. Number two, I don't want to talk to anybody during the movie anyway. I came to watch the movie, right? So it doesn't bother me at all. Uh, to go. I will go sit in a restaurant by myself and eat a meal, and that's fine. As long as I have a book, and I've always got the Word of God on my phone I can read, I'm perfectly fine. I'll enjoy a meal by myself. Um, Even though I'm a complete extrovert, I love to be with people all the time, but um, I don't mind doing some of that stuff alone. But there are some things you cannot do alone, no matter how hard you try. Do not try to play tennis by yourself. It's a very frustrating process, right? Um, You cannot play tag by yourself, right? You go, (laughs) it's kind of silly. doesn't work great. Um, You can't play in a band by yourself, right? Although I've heard some one-man bands and I don't want to hear them again. But you could try, but it's not easy. You can't get married by yourself. You can't be a family by yourself. A lot of things you can't do by yourself. What does all this have to do with the Sermon on the Mount? Well, as, as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus keeps approaching these different topics. And last week, we read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. And we're going to start there today. Because uh, we talked last week about a lot of the ways that we can be light and salt where we live and where we work and where we go to school and with the people that we know. But I want to show you a different angle on this. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, if you're not already there. I'll give you a second to get there. First book in the New Testament, book of Matthew, go to chapter 5. We're still very early in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. 
But I want to remind you of verses 13 through 16. Let me read it to you. You are the light of the earth. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now we talked about this passage last week, but there's an aspect of it that I, I, I didn't get to last week that I really think needs our attention. And it's particularly apropos since today is one of our Grace Fellowship family days that we do several times a year. Um, I want us to think about this from the standpoint of family. Here's the thing. You cannot be the salt of the earth. You cannot be the light of the world by yourself. And last week we talked about all the different ways as individuals we can spread salt and light. Today I want to say even then you can't do it alone. And I want to talk about that in some depth. Um, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world, when you read that in Greek, you see that the word you is the second person singular, which means he's not saying uh, you and you and you and you and you and you. He's saying all of you, okay? He's speaking to the group as one group. He's speaking to all of his Followers, Remember, it says he went up on the mountain and he began to teach that his disciples drew near to him, right? So we have this huge crowd of people who are just checking Jesus out, trying to find out what this is all about, but we have his disciples. This is a group of people who have decided that Jesus is the Messiah. They have already begun to follow him. They've devoted their lives to him and they're coming around him and they are his primary audience. And he says to them, you, all of you, it's, it's singular throughout, but he's speaking to the whole group of disciples. He doesn't say, you are the lights of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say, you are each a grain of salt. He says to the group, you are the salt of the earth. And, and um, think about it like that. One light can light up a room, right? If, if you have one room and you just have one light bulb, that light gives enough light to where you can see in that room. But one light cannot light up the whole world. Even the sun does not light up the whole world, right? Half the world is in darkness all the time. So the, the world is a big place. Even the sun doesn't light the whole world. So one light doesn't light the whole world, but he says you are the light of the world. So obviously he's got something bigger in mind than just one light of my life lighting up the whole world. He doesn't say you are grains of salt. One grain of salt makes absolutely no difference. You don't, you know, your food is a little bland and you say pass the salt and then you take and you get one little grain out and put it on your, on your mashed potatoes and you go, oh, they're so much better now, right? No, that's, that doesn't work that way. Um, Jesus is speaking to his followers collectively when he calls us salt and light. To be a disciple of Christ is to be a member of a family. I think that's a great way for us to think about it. In fact, in John chapter three, Jesus is talking to a guy by the name of Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus is a Pharisee, he's a priest, he's a Jewish religious leader. And he comes to Jesus under cover of darkness in John chapter three because uh, Jesus is very controversial even at that time. And he comes to him and he says, listen, it is obvious to me that you are from God, but I don't really get what you're talking about. Can you help me to understand what you're saying about the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, in essence, you can read this in John chapter three, Jesus says, in essence, uh, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. And Nicodemus is confused. I think he's, he's sincerely confused. I don't think he's being sarcastic. I think this is the strangest thing he, he's ever heard. He's trying to make sense of it. And he says, but I can't enter back into my mother's womb and be born again. What do you mean, be born again? And, and Jesus says, no, no, you have to have a physical birth. We all have a physical birth, but you also need to be born of the Spirit. And this is one of these things that we don't quite think about carefully enough as Christians. When we are born again, when we come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't just get an improvement to our life, we get a new life. We receive a different kind of life. We, we already have a physical life, but we're spiritually dead apart from Christ. And he says, the spiritual life that you need only happens when you are born spiritually. That's what it means to be born again. Now, when you're born physically, you're born into a family, and every family is different, and some is just like a single family parent, and some's got a bunch of siblings and all that kind of stuff. But if you were born, you had a mother, Right? And you, and you had a father, whether you knew him or not. Everyone who is born is born as part of a family. And Jesus is using that metaphor to say, when you're born again, you're also born into a family. But it's a different kind of family. It's a spiritual family. And Jesus talks about it all throughout his ministry. And Paul talks about it quite a bit as well. That family that you're born into is called the church. You cannot be the salt of the earth by yourself. You cannot be the light of the world by yourself. But that's okay because God doesn't expect you to be. He has born you into a church family. In fact, Jesus says that the identifying mark, the single most identifying mark of a follower of Jesus cannot be done alone. Take your Bibles, you're in Matthew, you wanna go to the Gospel of John, so you're gonna pass Mark and Luke to your right and go to John chapter 13. We're gonna look at several passages here, so get your um, page-turning fingers ready. We're going to John chapter 13. I want you to meet me in verse 34. And while you're going there, let me tell you what's happening. Jesus is getting his disciples ready for the fact that the cross is coming, that he's not gonna be with them forever, that they're gonna carry on his ministry without his physical presence, but he's gonna send the Holy Spirit. And he's having this whole discussion with them about that. And he's trying to help them understand, how are you going to live even when I'm not here to give you direction. And here's what he says. This is John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. One another is essential to have the mark of a Christian. The mark of a Christian is our love for one another, which is fascinating to me because it's not even our love for lost people. 
It's not even that we're willing to love those who are outside of the body of Christ. That is uh, also commanded of us, but that's not what he's talking about here. He says, the way people will know that you're actually a follower of Jesus is they will watch the way you love each other. So for us to have a testimony that people can look at us and see that the gospel is true, they're gonna look at us and see how we love one another. He says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And, and that gets a little tricky because not everybody in the church is as easy to love as everybody else. But that's true in the family you were born into, right? <laughs> I mean, honestly, honestly, we're all born into families and we didn't get to choose any of our family members, did we? And, and so uh, there's still a calling to love them. Not everyone do you get along with equally well. I don't agree with everything that uh, someone in my family says or does. I don't always uh, think the same way as everybody else in my family. Um, sometimes there can be friction between me and another member of my family, but when that happens, I don't love them any less. They're no, lo they're no less a part of my family and I'm no less a part of their family. And if they have a need, I'm gonna meet that need. And, it, and if they're struggling, I'm gonna lift them up and I'm gonna trust that they're gonna do that for me. Not because they like me so much, but because we're family. We're stuck with each other. God put us together on purpose and makes us a family. And there's something unique about being a family. And Jesus says, that's how they're gonna know. They're gonna watch. And guys, aren't we living in a time, these are the two number one things that are objections I get when I share the love of Jesus with people who don't know him. Number one, they talk about the hypocrisy of Christians. That, you know, I would, I would be more interested in Jesus if Christians weren't so hypocritical, which I believe in most cases is completely a smokescreen and has nothing to do with why they don't want to hear about Jesus. But that being said, we hear it all the time. It is the most common complaint about Christians is that I see so much hypocrisy. You say you believe this, but then you live like this, right? So that's number one. The second thing that I hear as an objection is, you know, Christians can't even get along with each other. What's up with that? There's a thousand denominations. I heard about a church last week that just split up and went in two different directions and they're not speaking to each other anymore. You know, you read sometimes uh, these stories in the paper or online, those of you who've ever seen a newspaper, there's something called a newspaper. Anyway, um, you, you read these stories sometimes literally on a Sunday morning in a worship service or in a family meeting like we just had where fights break out, brawls, and the police are called. And people stop and go, and that's your love for Jesus? That's your gospel? You can't even agree on anything. You can't even get along with one another. And guys, again, a lot of times that's a, a smokescreen. A lot of times they're speaking from ignorance, but there is some basis for this. That doesn't come out of nowhere. And, 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 and listen, when you hear about a local church that is struggling, where, where there's um, d divisiveness going on, where there, there, there's some problem with leaders who are failing in some sort of a way, where it's becoming a public story that this church is splitting up. Do you know what you need to do? You need to get on your knees and pray for that church. 
Pray for the people of that church. I spend a significant amount of time every week praying for the success of the ministries of the other churches in the San Gabriel Valley. This is not a competition. And I want to see every church reach the lost and make disciples. And you know what? We've all heard stories or sometimes been a part of a church that just broke apart because of divisive behavior where people could not love one another anymore. And the world stands back and goes, why would I want that? It's a pretty fair question. So Jesus says you got to love one another. That's how they're going to know. Now, the Bible talks about the church in all kinds of ways, um, but it loves to use metaphors for the church. And one of the most common ones is it, it talks about the church as a, um, as a body. And I want you to see how that works. Go to Romans chapter 12. So if you're there still in John, the next book to the right is Acts, and after that is Romans. So go to Romans chapter 12. And we, we're just going to take a quick look at this. But now this is the Apostle Paul. I told you Jesus talked about the church, uh, loving one another in the church over and over again. And now here's how Paul talks about it. We're going to pick it up in Romans 12, verse 3. For through the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But to think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Let's stop there for a second. What's he saying? He's using the human body as an example. And when he talks about members, he's talking about body parts. So he's saying there are all these different parts of the body. A kidney does not do what an eyelash does. But I'm glad to have kidneys and eyelashes. They both serve the whole body, right? Your lungs do not do what your feet do, but both of them are very, very important. And when you take all of the parts of the body and they're all interconnected, he 